week's episode of the Rugby Conversation podcast. I'm Mr. David, a journalist at BBC Sport Wales, and as always, I'm joined by Westgate Sports Agency's Steph Thomas. Hi, Steph. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm looking ahead to getting um, well, the international June test window uh, up and running. You'll also hear on this week's episode of the podcast from America's Rugby News' uh, South America editor and Paul Tate. Um, he'll be proving Wales' first test against Argentina. But first, Steph, let's look back on last weekend's uh, fixtures. Wales beat South Africa by 22 points to 20 out in Washington. Would Warren Gatland have been happier with the result than the performance, considering how inexperienced his side was? I think, if we were being honest, it was always going to be uh, a scrappy affair, and it proved that. Um, you know, it, it was it wasn't a good game of rugby. The, the first half was atrocious. Um, you know, the the skill level was very low. Uh, both sides. Um, the referee didn't really have a grip on the game either, especially at the set piece, uh, and then the conditions weren't great. So it, it obviously wasn't a great game of rugby. There, there was some good good patches. Um, but ultimately, it, it, it was a disappointing spectacle, and it, it wasn't a sort of game that really should have been played in the US, in my opinion. But from Wales' point of view, I think the biggest positive, um, you know, it was probably the fact that they were under pressure, they were under the cosh, um, staring defeat to the face, and and they managed a bit of luck along the way as well, obviously. But they managed to get up off the canvas and um, grind out the result, and that's something that we we would have. Um, been rejoicing at in the past, really. The, you know, Welsh team. I know it's not the best Springboks side ever, but uh, winning ugly is is um, a very good trait to have. And I suppose it was never an uglier performance than uh, than on Saturday. But you know, ultimately they they got the win. That's an interesting point you raised there, Steph. How Wales in recent years, maybe under Warren Gatland, haven't been as clinical as they potentially could have been, especially against sides against from the Northern Hemisphere and um, they showed that on Saturday night against South Africa what do you think that's down to is that more to do with the Springboks' quality or do you, th- do you think something really has changed within the squad bit of both I don't actually think they, they were that clinical really I thought they butchered a couple of guilt edge try scoring opportunities which would have killed the game off I thought Wales winning uh, quite comfortably Ross Moriarty made uh, a very good surge up uh, downfield Ball recycled, there's about a four five man overlap and Owen Watkin knocked the ball on. Um, if they scored then I think they you know, I don't think there's any way back for the Springboks, but you know, Springboks are pretty dire for most of the game. Um so, so that had something to do with it. But uh, you know, I think the mental toughness in Welsh rugby has improved. Um I think Gatlin has improved that aspect. Um and they were they're Wales a gritty side and they showed that at the end. South Africa did their damnedest to throw it away in mind, but you know, you still got to take these opportunities. You know, it was good pressure from Thomas Williams and uh, you know, quick reaction from Ryan Elias. But you know, as I said just just now, really, you know, it was an ugly performance, but uh, I suppose a satisfactory result. Picking up on one of the first things you said on this week's podcast, Steph, um, you mentioned that it wasn't a perfect game to sell rugby in America, and there's a lot of people being quite critical of. The whole idea in in its entirety. What do you make of it? Do you think it would have been a success to see twenty one thousand people watch an international test match in Washington? I think 
Yeah, I suppose it was. You know, obviously, I, when you play in a stadium that big, the first thing you you want is a sellout. We didn't get that, but at the same time, um, I read somewhere there was a number of other sporting events on nearby. Um, and 21,000 is probably not as bad as people thought. Um, not not as bad because when you consider the rugby is a is a minority sport in in the US, I know the world rugby like to talk it up, but ultimately it's not. You know, it, it ain't. It, it's not really on most people's radar as it in the states. So that was that was an improvement, uh, I suppose. You know, twenty one thousand is not bad, but ultimately, um, you know, I wasn't out there. But speaking of people who were out there covering the game, you know, there was no, there's very little advertisement of the game. Um, it, it was. Um, I'm sure um, it was tweeted that it wasn't. Not one mention of of the game. There wasn't one mention of the game in the Washington Post in the morning of the game, which pretty much much sums up where it was, uh, where the game was in in the locals' list of priorities. So, you know, with all things considered, I suppose twenty one thousand isn't as bad as um, people originally thought. Yeah, you you're not going to be able to compete when the um, Washington Capitals are playing in the NHL. Really, if it's Wales and South Africa, it's not really going to touch the the um, consci- consciousness of local people as much as it potentially could have and it's sad to hear that it hasn't been advertised as much as it possibly could have been um, and you play looking ahead to Argentina we'll talk more about the Argentina test in a bit Steph but which individuals stood out for you most for Warren Gatland side? I thought Ellis Jenkins was um, probably the best Welsh player I thought he he led from the front as he always has done Um I thought, you know, he won a couple of crucial turnovers under pressure, um, created, well, played a key role in in first Welsh try, uh, very physical at the breakdown. I, I like what Ellis brings, you know, and I, I, I'd like to see the, the double open side option next weekend with uh, with Ellis and uh, and James Davis. Um, so I thought he played well. Um, Hadley Parks, as per usual, you know, safe pair of hands, he, was, he, he played well. Um, and I think, you know, overall, I think play, the, the problem was a lot. I mean, Thomas Williams did all right. But a lot of players played played in patches. They played well in patches, but it wasn't some sort of complete performance, which I suppose is understandable considering the uh, the lack of preparation time and the fact it was a first uh, first hit out for, for a lot of these players. So, But, you know, I think Ellis was uh, the clear standout, in my opinion. Um, Thomas Francis and Josh Adams have been added to the squad this week. Um, I was coming for Steph Evans, who's been ruled out, and also Samson Lee, who's um, struggling with a lower back injury, I believe. Um, <clears throat> does this kind of make a farce of the whole situation that they weren't allowed to play in the first test? Um, a little bit, I suppose. I mean, you know, I, I think, as I said in the, in a, on a previous podcast, the Welsh management should have known that, you know, these players wouldn't have been available for the test. Uh, sorry, for the first test, um, they knew the rules they shouldn't have elected. Uh, but at the same time, I do think it's very petty from um, from the post. Be uh, you know, you can understand you know holding them back in the middle of the season because you know it affects the clubs that pay their wages. But you know, it's the off season for the clubs now, so. You know, the only people who are getting harmed are the players. But yeah, I think you know Josh Adams had a good season in the Hooters, and he, um, you know, Steph Evans' injury, um, you know, was 
bit devastating really and uh, considering it wasn't wasn't exactly the most important game in the world so he, he's he's obviously going to be important for this test series and given the the way Roger Jones was stuffed um, I thought Dylan Lewis did okay but wasn't really convincing I think Thomas Francis um, you know, he's, a, he's a decent scrummager so I think given the, the way Argentina scrummage and obviously given the fact that our best scrummaging type did as a, as a back injury um, he's, he's probably a welcome addition to the squad as well Okay then we'll, we'll talk about the um, the next uh, test match on the on Wales' June tour um, against Argentina and Juan very very shortly but Steph let's um, the final domestic club game of the European season took place in the Stade de France on Saturday night. We spoke to Paul Edison from Sportsbeat uh, last week to preview it, but let's just chat amongst ourselves now to review it as Castro won the fifth uh, French title beating Montpellier. I think I saw one of your tweets on Saturday night saying that um, Castro were a bit older school, proper team spirit, but they won in the end, didn't they? Yeah, um, they were. I mean... I think the comparison I did make was, was to Leicester City, which uh, perhaps I went a bit over the top. But no, I think the, the point I was trying to make was obviously cast. Um, they don't have the budget of the big the big guns in France. Uh, when I mean big guns, I mean somebody like Montpellier, obviously, who have a ridiculously strong squad, Toulon, Racing, you know, size that can pay almost a million a year, over a million a year in Racing's case for some players, you know, Toulouse. Uh, another another big hitter financially, so they're not in that league financially. Man for man as well, you know Montpellier probably would have come out on top in every position really. Um, but you know they they're one of these teams they they finished six overall. But you know in a cup game in a one of cup game they'll just drag you into a dogfight, and that's what they do. They drag teams down to their level. They got a good pack, great team spirit. They got this sort of wolf pack defence as well, uh, and. You know the, you know goal kicker wise, Oda Pellet. I can't pronounce his name. Oda Pellet. I think it was. You know he he kicked everything. So um, you know when he got a goal kicker like that, and, and when he got a defence like that, and, and and that sort of team spirit and physicality, then you always gonna have a chance. But I can't help but feel at the same time that Montpellier were pretty poor. <laughs> I think it all um, uh, L'Equipe, the the daily French newspaper, put together a statistical top 14 team of the season um, and not a single cast player made it and I think that just highlights your point there Steph that cast they are so many such a team spirit such a bond there um, and it's maybe a contrast to what Montpellier are to a certain extent considering how many how many talented individuals they have on their books um, with that in mind Steph Christophe Urios is the cast head coach who was at Oyonnax beforehand there's been a bit of talk that maybe he would could be in line to be the next French head coach, do you reckon he's an option to to succeed, Jack Brunel? Oh, I suppose if you're if you're winning the the top fourteen with a side with one of the lowest budgets and you know with, with a squad that's nowhere near as strong as your rivals, then you're doing something right. Then he was a coach, um, you know, and, and I suppose France have lacked that team spirit that other nations have had and that previous French sides have had, so. Given what he's done at Cass, um, yeah, I suppose he would he would be a leading contender. Now let's head uh, down under to the Southern Hemisphere. With Super Rugby, we saw the Hurricanes beat the Highlanders by 30 points to 14. The Super Rugby takes a bit of a break now. But Steph, let's just look at how the playoffs 
um, situation in Super Rugby stand at the moment. You've got the Crusaders, Crusaders against the Rebels, Lions will place the Jaguares, Waratahs against the Chiefs, and then we'll have a rerun with the Hurricanes against the Highlanders. There's three rounds left of the of of the competition before we do get to those playoffs. Crusaders on top at the moment. Are they are the hot favourites to win the whole thing. Do you think? Well, it's it, isn't it? Um, you know, the, I've uh, you know I've praised Scott Robson enough on this podcast, but he's he's done a fantastic job at uh, at um, at the Crusaders. I mean, under Blackguard, they were the sort of bridesmaids of the competition. You know, they were the Neely men. They they're always there, thereabouts. So they couldn't get over the last hurdle, but but he's he's brought something that's allowed them to. You know, to get over that final hurdle as they did last year and you know beating the Hurricanes who are probably their, their closest rivals in my opinion um, you know that that significant victory and obviously the, uh, the Highlanders as well they're a strong contender um, all right perfect Steph um just a quick reminder to our listeners that if you um want to want to let us know what you think about what you hear here on the podcast um this week just send us in your tweets at the rugby combo and we're also on Facebook just search in uh, the rugby conversation and let us know really if you've got anything you'd want to add in to to what we do talk about um Steph in France over this month of um, end of May and also June, the World Rugby Twenty Championship is taking place. We've already seen the two opening rounds. Um, from a Welsh perspective, they opened up with a good victory against Australia and then lost by forty-two points to ten to New Zealand. Do you think Garrett Lewis would be quite happy with how his team has started the competition? I think they've been better than um, uh, than they were in the Six Nations. I mean, obviously that was a great win against the Australians. Um, and they said, we got to remember is they got a very young squad. That's an obvious thing to say. Of course, they got a young squad at the 20 level, but in comparison to other sides, I mean, a lot of their squad is still eligible to play under 18s rugby. Um, I thought they were excellent against Australia, apart from the scrum. But against the the the, the baby blacks, I thought they were the the architects of their own downfall. Then I thought you know they were players in the game. They played really well, but they gifted them soft points. You know, there was a period where they got back into the game and uh, they won a penalty and Dane Black had decided to quick, take a quick tap and go. Um, you know, that's not not singling out him, but that, that's poor game management, isn't it? But that's something they're going to learn. You know, Ireland are 20 there, but it's, you want to win, but it's not really... Your, the first priority for the coaches is developing players for the regions and for the national side. And, you know, I can see a few players who... Well, have huge potential, so you know I don't think it'd be over the moon with the start they made, but you know because obviously you know the ultimately they got stuffed with the the baby blacks, but I think there have been improvements for the Six Nations, and I do think that scoreline did did flatter them a little bit, considering that they should have had a couple of red cards as well uh, that uh, that didn't help matters. Yeah, um, a lot of people have have made quite a bit of um how physical the baby blacks were. Do you think that they centred Danielu Telea um, should have been red-carded for the hit he made on Yo Nicholas? Oh, absolutely. It's not, not really debate, is it, to be honest? Um, it was... I think I think that, that obviously the fact it was a shoulder first, led with a shoulder. Um, 
that makes it automatically a penalty. It was to the to the head, probably makes it a red card. But it was the fact that he didn't. If if you watch it right, he doesn't line up Nicholas until Nicholas has passed the ball. That's what's got me. You know, it's it's dangerous and it's field. You know, I'm not gonna go damn him or anything, but it was dangerous. And that's what he did. He played really, which should have been a red card. But you know, when you've got a referee that's as weak as the one we had on the weekend, I mean, Kai Evans was upended in the air, and he and he ignored, you know, he was in front of his face and he ignored it. You know, and there was another occasion where he sent a player to the bin for a yellow card. I think it was on, uh, sorry, for a shoulder charge. I think it was on um, Kai Evans as well. And the reason it was a yellow card is because Kai Evans was slipping. But that shouldn't. That's not the point, is it? You know, he was going for his head with his shoulder. Should have been a red card. Simple as. And I just thought the ref was very poor. And when I mean poor, I mean it wasn't just like decisions you're getting wrong. I mean, when you're getting decisions like that wrong, you put, you know, you're compromising the players' safety. And I just thought it was really poor. And I thought um, the players are better, to be honest. Which individuals do you think have stood out most for you so far? For me, the, the standout player for Wales has been Tame Basham. Uh, obviously, Bernard Jackman was, was forced to to blood him early this season and he was given a baptism of fire obviously but he's, he's really been a standout player he's outstanding um, up the breakdown complete player really potentially very powerful explosive carrier that finish um, against the baby blacks I mean when I first seen that finish in the corner I thought it was Ryan Combe that scored because it's a winger's finish isn't it uh, but it was Basham he's, he's a terrific try and he's just a complete player Um I think that the players have really impressed. For, <coughs> excuse me, the players have really stood out for Wales. Have been the players that have been playing professional rugby for the regions. Um, Johan Nicholas is another that I've been really impressed by. He's played wing for the Scarlets, but he's been playing twelve for Wales, and <coughs> he is he's a midfielder. I think I can understand why he's not. He's probably been on the wing for for the Scarlets because he's he's very small, but he's a lovely ball player and defensively he's he's. He's very good for a young man as well. So, for me, those are the, the two players that have really stood out. And next up for Wales will be Japan on Thursday. Sorry if you're listening to this later on in the week, but you already know the the, the result of that. And, you, and you'll also know um, by Thursday whether Wales will have made it to the last four, the main draw, where they could potentially win it, or uh, as they are currently, they're in eighth place. So, the best they can hope for is a fifth place finish, which, which as Steph there said, they would be quite respectable considering how, how young of a squad they are compared to the other um, sides involved in the tournament. Um, before we move on, a quick mention to our uh, partner in food ordering app Too Good To Go. It's a, got a little bit of a difference. It's available for for, app, for your iPhones and also for your Android devices. You can get really good quality food for very low prices. So let's look ahead to um, the games that we've got ahead this week. International Test Rugby, the June window is really kicking off. There's, there's nine matches involving international teams all together. Uh, the one we'll focus on first will be Argentina against Wales in San Juan on Saturday. And that's at 20 to 9. Um, so to get the, the, the perspective of things from Los Pumas from South America, uh, I spoke to the South American editor of uh, website americasrugbynews.com to get the perspective of things over there. And here's what Paul Tate had to say. Wales, Wales play Argentina in two tests over the next 
uh, week or so. Both of them are being, well, what the first one's been played in San Juan and the other one in Santa Fe, both uh, in the north of Argentina. A lot of Welsh listeners to the podcast and um, will maybe ask, why haven't they decided to play in Patagonia? What's your insight into this? Yeah, it's economic. Uh, San Juan and Santa Fe both have uh, much larger stadiums than you'll find in Patagonia. Uh, Argentina did play Wales in 2006. Uh, the last tour, in fact, Wales had there. And it, you were talking about a stadium in uh, uh, Puerto Madryn in the south. And it was a makeshift venue. Uh, 12,000 capacity, if I'm not mistaken, for the match. Uh, just temporary seating. So it was a, you know, just a magical occasion that they were able to make it happen. But now we're in different times. We're talking about Argentina rugby is now professional. They've got their own bills to pay. And uh, the way that matches work in Argentina is it's a bidding process. So different cities bid to host test matches and the best ones, obviously, get allocated matches. And so both San Juan and Santa Fe have, have been able to host matches in the, in the recent years and uh, this year being no different. And uh, they should both get capacity or close to attendances. Regarding the players that Daniel Hurkar has um, chosen for both these fixtures, there's no um, Toulon back row in Facundo Riso or Racing 92 winger Juan Imhoff in the squad. Um, is that down to this whole rule that he's not picking foreigners or what's the latest on that situation? Yes, the rule officially changed in March, and, uh, uh, which was a reversal because Argentina had had poor results in the last two years. It was in fact just three wins. Uh, you're talking about wins over Georgia, Japan and Italy. So they lost 17 matches and got those three victories. Because of that, they figured, well, let's, uh, you know, oh, let's reverse the process. Let's pick everyone we can because we've got to win again. So that was in March. Uh, they changed after that because Los Jaguares were, were able to go to New Zealand, Australia and win their matches. And now they won six in a row. And so uh, Daniel Ocardi officially says, look, it's not my decision. It's, it's the uh, organization. And they've determined that because of the, the great results of Los Jaguares, where we're not going to, in fact, be selecting players from Europe for the June internationals or the rugby championship. Uh, officially, they've only named uh, the World Cup next year as having all the players in the frame. So the official uh, decision, you know, stands for the time being as as basically having Super Rugby Jaguares side off. Not, not going to be involved. Issa is actually injured, but uh, not serious. In prior years, like a decade ago, he would have played if, if uh, uh, available, of course. So uh, they've, they've reversed the decision. We don't know how long it's for. The only thing that they have also made public is that uh, where there are positions in which there are no options, they are going to allow the selection of someone from Europe and Sergio Stewart from Ole, Argentine sports publication, he's revealed that prop is officially uh, only with two options, who are the same guys we're talking about from Jaguares, who are starting all their matches, Keta Chaparro and 
Garcia Blota. So those guys have no depth behind them. They, the players who are also in the roster, three others, but they're all uncapped and they haven't started Super Rugby matches. They're just considered too young. Wodekad actually said that himself. And uh, so we're talking about Juan Figash from Saracens will be picked if there's an injury. They'll, they'll call him up. The other two uh, tight head options are Ramiro Herrera, Stade Francais, and uh, Leon Prop, uh, Francisco Cordela. He has not, in fact, played since uh, pre, pre-World pre Cup 2015, I think 20, 2012, 2013 would have been his last test, a long time ago. Uh, there's also at loose head, bath prop, Lucas Nogueira pass, possibly for that position. So other than these these props I named, you're not going to be getting any players from Europe playing this year for Argentina. Uh, it doesn't matter how good you are, they're not going to pick you. Uh, they just simply believe that they need to enforce this policy because they're really, really concerned about an exodus to Europe because Nicolas Sanchez has just left, signed for Stade Francais, he's going to play there next season, going to play for Argentina normal and join them after the November test matches. But to make sure that there's nobody else, that they've established this, this firm policy that no one from Europe will be considered. Uh, but yeah, like I say, the props are a special case. So let's talk about those individuals who um, are available for Daniel, Daniel Hurcad um, over the next weeks. Um, they play for Jaguares. Just just how good have Jaguares been this season? Yeah, the, well, they started off slowly. They uh, were in a familiar position of, of mid to lower table. And then they went to, to Australia to play the Rebels. First up, won the match. And maybe they shouldn't have. In fact, Rebels turned down a, a penalty to try to score a try at the end and, and failed. And then they bet the Brumbies and Canberra. Then they went to, to Auckland, New Zealand, to defeat the Blues and then the Chiefs in Rotorua. So that from there, they went home and they won twice at home. Uh, so six wins in a row, far more than anything in the past that, that they have ever achieved. And so based on that, uh, the team... The, the roster is is uh, a foreign team, a confident team, and definitely in better shape than in previous years. Uh, I would suggest the, that it's pretty close to, in fact, being the strongest side. There is a debate over how many Europeans, in fact, would make the side. Um, they were actually going to, to in, uh, have a ruling at one point of five players from outside of the country per match roster of uh, 23 players. Now, that was what they were saying this year. If we rewind to go back a year, Orcad himself said there were only three players who are in Europe now, now being a year ago, who would make his team. So, based on, based on all of what I just said, you would probably say that Wales are going to face close to the genuine article. Uh, we can debate which names are, that should be there who are not, but uh, he's basically talking about uh, um, definitely Facundiso and probably two props. Juan Imhoff, of course, would be picked, but according to his own logic of only three players, uh, you could speculate that he'd, he'd actually not be picked. Um, now, my own choice, yeah, I'd pick him, no, no question. 
But uh, you do look at who the players are who have played wing this season and, and for Los Jaguares, and they are uh, very good. Um, and actually, I was talking to some uh, Argentine people over the weekend about it, and I, I came to the conclusion that they've probably got more capable wingers now than at any other time I can recall. And like in the past, we've often seen one quality Pumas winger and the other one is not not the best, let's put it like that. Or maybe neither of them are that good. But now uh, you've got loads, loads of options to, in terms of attack, uh, defense, not quite so good. But uh, some of them nevertheless have definitely an all-round game. So it's going to be interesting to see what they try to do in terms of the game plan, because under Ledesma, they have not been playing the same rugby which we saw the last two years for both Argentina and Jaguares. And what I mean by that is, as you probably remember, is just repeated unnecessary 50-50 passes, offloads which don't go to hand, handing the, the opposition, uh, try scoring opportunities from intercepts, from bad ball handling, uh, running the ball from deep when you don't need to. Uh, Los Jaguars have not been doing any of that. And so they're very bonus point victories. The, the, the last one was, but the other five from their uh, six wins in a row, they weren't, in fact. So they were winning the battle up front. Uh, the key players were, were essentially uh, from the engine room, uh, front row, second row, and probably also Marcus Crema playing flanker. Those would be the guys who have really done the difference. What about um, within the backs and someone like Emmanuel uh Buffelli, who scored 10 tries in 13 games? How impressive has he been so far? Yeah, very, very impressive. Uh, the, the question is where to play him. Now, myself and, and Brian Ray from from America's reviews, we, we personally are, are of the view he should be outside center. That's where you should be playing him. That's where he did play for the under-20s. Uh, now, he's got the height. He's got he's got the natural abilities to, to play in many positions. And uh, that's maybe a good thing or maybe not. So he's been left wing most of the time, fullback now, because Joaquin Tukele is out. He's going to play again until next year. We don't even know. Realistically, if, if he'll be fit in time for Super Rugby next year, so very good player. Uh, he's being trained, in fact, also as fly half material because they just don't have anybody. Um, Sanchez is, of course, the starter, but what happens if he goes down? And he was, in fact, injured last week. They set out training. Should be okay to play Wales, but in the prospect that that does not eventuate, Bofelli's likely to be playing ten. Uh, Santiago Gonzalez Iglesias is the other option, but uh, basically he's been been there for a long time, uh, and he's been mainly used as an inside center. So, uh, I mean, you're talking about a case of it's time to, to move on uh, and find somebody else, and that's what they've done with, with the option of Bofelli. Uh, but I guess I should also point out that at junior level, he was a, a flyer for his club, for Duendes and Rosario. He's actually from the same club as Juan Imhoff. Uh, they both come from the same same place. Uh, both left wingers for their country, but we don't know exactly what they're going to do with him. They're going to put him wherever they can. 
in the back line by the looks of things. Uh, against Wales, he'll be fullback if Sanchez is, is fit. That's what we do know. All right, and let's um, a bit of a wider context for Argentina. Where do these two tests against Wales lie in the priority list? Is it above the test against Scotland and then the rugby championship on the end of the November tests, or is it all building up towards something? I would, I would say that that these two against Wales in the, are definitely up there in the hierarchy. They're near the top. Um, Argentina has a tendency of when they're at home, those are the most important matches. Um, so, for example, when they are at home in the rugby championship, often people think, "My God, they look at them! They weren't like this last week. Now that they're now they're all pumped up and so forth." So, uh, because of that, but also because of just how how desperately they need a win. Uh, they've been poor for for too long since the World Cup against Ireland. Basically, they have not been. You know, many highlights. They got a win over South Africa uh, to be proud of, but otherwise, uh, they haven't got one win against a side ranked above them. And that that's you know explanatory when you look at the rankings and you look at Argentina getting an unfortunate uh, draw for the World Cup based on that too. So, but they're leaving behind all that past and they're trying to move forward now. So. These tests against Wales, yeah, really important for them. Uh, I would I would suggest that they are basically going to determine just how far this policy of selecting or not from Europe can go. It realistically, if, if they do not win these two matches, they're going they're going to just have to to change the, their 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 selection again because. Uh, I mean, is Wales at full strength? No, it's not. We all, we know that. Uh, Wales has a very good team, though. The players have, have spoken about it. Uh, Bertrano said that, in his opinion, Wales is the best defence of the world. So, when you get players speaking these kinds of things, uh, it's a pretty strong indication that that they that they're going there to play, and they're taking it very seriously. And hopefully, you know, we're all going to be treated with some really good rugby. And. How how do you see both fixtures going? Oh, I, I need to see the, the team the team lineups, of course. But I would suspect that uh, I mean I, I would think based on who the players are and in the respective rosters that uh, Argentina should be favourites for the matches. But they're going to have to play really well to win these games, uh, really well. If they don't play at their peak, then then they're they're really gonna gonna have a, a hard time winning. Uh, if they play below their peak, like they're let's say seventy percent performance, uh, I think Wales will win the matches. Wales just is a team who knows how to win. We've all seen Wales win against teams like France when they haven't played well. So that's that's a, a, a key difference I see between Wales and Argentina. If Wales uh, don't play well, they can still win. Argentina cannot do that. If, an Argentina team does not score uh, under court guard, we're talking about, does not score tries, they don't win matches. So uh, I would say edge. Argentina probably you're going to pick eight points, victory, something like that. Thank you very much for your time, Paul. And before I do let you go, um, if people, if listeners 
want to read more f- from your stuff ahead of the fixtures, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, definitely. Uh, America's Rugby News. Uh, we're going to be putting match uh, reports, previews, and so forth up there, uh, posting information, of course, about uh, the player selection. You can click on the website and you'll find information on who all the players are. There's a, there's a bar to drop down, resource bar, which says players. Click there. You can see who they all are. Got all the information about uh, the player's age, weight, so forth. Uh, that's, that's your best place to, to go for all of that. Um, Argentina has a lot of media outlets for rugby, but they're all in Spanish. So America's Rugby News is, is hoping to act as, as a bridge in that respect. And that's one of the reasons we uh, started the website. And so I hope you know, listeners are able to enjoy it too. Thank you very much to Paul for his for his time. You can follow him on Twitter uh, at Argentina underscore twenty twenty seven, which is a little nod to the fact that he'd like to see the World Cup being held uh, in the South American country uh, by then. But Steph, um, from a Welsh perspective of things, um, how do you assess Wales going into this? Do you think that Gatland will be expecting to win in San San Juan on Saturday night? No, I think Argentina are the favourites. Uh, I think the Haguares have, um, have hit a rich vein of form in Super Rugby. Um, uh, Daniel Volcard, if I pronounce that right, has destroyed them as being unbeatable um, at the moment. I mean, obviously, the the fact that they're, they're virtually, the Super Rugby says virtually Argentina, I mean, that allows them, that means that they're, they're used to the system. Um, you know, they're, they're playing a fast brand of rugby in Super Rugby and they're all, the cohesion is there. Um, and we all know that Argentina are immensely physical, but you know, from a Welsh perspective, they'd be a lot stronger from from the tests in Washington DC. I, I'd expect personally, I, I put the Scarlet centres in Scott Williams and Adley Parks. So that that make a big difference. I think North will likely go go back to the wing, and um, Rob Evans has to come in, and one of Samson Lee or Tom Francis has to come in. <clears throat> If Samson's injured, I, I wouldn't play him personally because I, I just think, don't think it's worth the risk, really, is it? So I think Wales would be a lot stronger. Um, and as I said, I, I personally counter Argentina's physicality with with uh, two scavengers in Ellis and, and, and James Davis. I'd play that dual open side thing and I, um, and have Moriarty at number eight. So, um, you know, I, I think one of Argentina's biggest weaknesses of the past few years, in my opinion, um, has been that they've gone too far, they've strayed too far away from their traditional style of rugby, which is massive set piece, huge physicality, and a good kicking game. They've tried to develop their game, which is the right thing to do. They play some good rugby, but sometimes they overplay their hand. And I just wonder that if Wales keep it tight and keep it disciplined, uh, that, that perhaps they could catch Argentina out. But for me, Argentina are the favourites, but I think it'd be pretty close. Um, considering how. Uh, young and inexperienced some members of the Wales squad are which fixture do you think is more difficult an away trip to Argentina be that in San Juan or or in Santa Fe or the match last week in difficult conditions in North America where you're playing against South Africa without without a doubt it's um, it's Argentina I mean let's let's be honest the Springboks are seven new caps Um, they didn't take the game as seriously as they should have really Uh, you know they were only in the States for two days that, that ain't good preparation and 
I think you know Razi Erasmus is on record as saying that he's tagged in the England uh, series. So look, they're, they're going into the the Pumas' den, uh, you know, the, the Dragons' den. They're, they're going into a very volatile and hostile environment. Uh, you know, I can still remember as a kid that '99 tour where all hell broke loose. Really, it was like it was anarchy, wasn't it, with all the fighting and all the the sort of you know, there's a famous photo with uh, Garin Jenkins with some Argentinian player's finger in Garin Jenkins' eyes. So, you know, that's not going to happen this time. But, you know, Argentina's a very, very difficult place to go and play rugby. And um, considering the Wales are shown of a few players and, um, you know, haven't got the perhaps the match sharpness and cohesion that the Argentinians have got, it's, it's going to be a tall order. But, um, as I said, the, they do have the quality to win, but it's going to be difficult for Okay then, so um, the three other fixtures we'll have within our uh, games of the week for, th- for this week of the following, which will be New Zealand, France, um, Australia, Ireland and South Africa against England. Firstly, the All Blacks against Le Bleu at uh, uh, 25 to 9 uh, Saturday morning in Auckland. Um, there's no Kieran Reid, there's no Brody Retallick. It looks very unlikely that there's be no Sam Kane. There's no Sinbill Williams as well for the All Blacks. Um, and then for France... There is a massive list of players who weren't available beforehand because of their club commitments. And now Wesley Fofana is unavailable as well to play. Do you kind of get the impression that it's kind of like a second string match for both sides, this one? Perhaps, but second string all blacks, sorry, second string all blacks is probably still the best side in the world. So um, I, I just, look, we all know the issue know the top four in um, not that there's that many really from those two sides but I, I just don't think France are anywhere near good enough to beat New Zealand especially in their own patch um, New Zealand obviously traditionally very rusty in the first game so if they're going to do anything their opportunity to be in a weekend but look I can't see past a, a very comfortable all black win I've got to be honest all right, then across uh, the sea, um, you'll have uh, Australia against Ireland at eleven o'clock in Brisbane. Um, Israel Falau said um, recently that he doesn't know much about Ireland. Ireland are Grand Slam winners, Steph. Is he being naive or is he just um, trying to poke the bear here? He's been very disrespectful, isn't he? And uh, he's made a habit of that recently. Um, look, you know, I've I've heard some play Australian players quoted as saying that. You know, they won't underestimate Ireland, but that question should be posed to Ireland. Ireland are clearly a better side than Australia. They're the Grand Slam champions. You know, they, they've they've recently beat the All Blacks. I know Australia have as well, but I just think at the moment, the way Ireland are going, uh, they've got the best coach in the world, Leinster, European champions, Pro 14 champions. Australia are always dangerous. Uh, they're, you know, they're still a good side, but as I said, you know, there's the issue of the Southern Hemisphere nations as well. First game of the season, so obviously it's going to be, um, apart from the Aguilaras, obviously. So Australia will be a bit rusty. Ireland are back lad, and I think it'll be fairly close, but I'm pretty confident Ireland will win this game. All right, then on the Saturday, later on Saturday afternoon at, at five past four, you've got the Springboks against England in Ellis Park. Um, there's a, there were, uh, what, Razi Erasmus, how... After losing last weekend in Washington to Wales, um, what do you think is going through his mind at, at the moment? So he's got, got three tests against um, 
Eddie Jones England who are on the rocks to a certain extent considering where they were maybe 12, 18 months ago. Um, does Raza, do, you think, do you think Raza Rasmus will be targeting getting three wins or is he still kind of developing and trying to find out new players? He's got a new captain this year, Colise as well, with the 2019 World Cup in mind. Obviously he's going to be targeting three wins but he is still developing. I mean, the test in Washington DC was a nuisance for them. You know, as I said earlier, they, they've been targeting this test series, and um, you know, this is a big tour for England uh, because they, Eddie Jones, if you look at his coaching career, wherever he's been, he started really strongly, then it's just tailed away, and England were almost unbeatable the first two seasons of his reign. This is the first season where they have slipped behind, um, a slip behind really, but you know, they've, they've. Um, They've regressed a little bit, or, or maybe stagnate is the better word. I mean, obviously, they're not as bad as results in the Six Nations suggested. A lot of these games, 50 50 games, I think, go their way. But they need to reverse that sort of trend. They need to get back on the horse. And it, it's fairly obvious to Eddie, uh, you know, those those uh, defeats in the Six Nations campaign could, could be a blessing in disguise looking ahead to the World Cup. It's very obvious, well, it's surely very obvious to Eddie that. They need something different. They need an injection of new blood, um, something that can just give them an extra dimension. And it's important that they stop the rot and they and they win this test series. And I think the marginal favourites to do that. But I've just got a sneaky feeling that South Africa, um, Razi Rasmus, a great coach. I just think that I just, my gut feeling is telling me that South Africa might just pull this out of the bag. Yeah, and considering England haven't won in South Africa since 2000, um, history isn't on Eddie Jones's side either, is it? No, it's not. I don't think they pay much attention to history, to be honest. They leave it as a motivating fact, and obviously this isn't uh, anywhere near a strong Springbok side as they would have faced in uh, in 2000. Um, you know, but but yeah, I mean, look, you know, England, as I said, they're a very, very good very good side um, they're a very powerful side they, they're one of the only sides in the world that can sort of bully South Africa physically but they need to use this tool to find something different behind the scrum and that's a challenge for them because I think that 10-12 axis um, th- and, and especially the outside centre positions and, and even the wings really and then the wingers uh, particularly uh, convinced me I think they, they need to find that cutting edge behind the scrum um, will sticking it up the jumper and bullying the spring box if they can will that be enough to win I don't think it will be I think South Africa have got a lot of young talented players I think they've finally got a coach that deserves to be coach that's there on merit that understands South African rugby and understands what, what, what's needed to win test matches and yeah I, 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 do, uh, I do fancy South Africa for this one all right then. Um, the other five fixtures or test matches are taking place uh, this weekend: of Tonga against Georgia, Fiji against Samoa, Japan against Italy, uh, Canada against Scotland, and then uh, the United States of America against Russia. So that's how you kick off your your June test series. Um, we'll be back next week to to review everything that's taking place this weekend, also to preview week two of of the test matches as well. But we'll catch you. Uh, next week in the same place on iTunes or SoundCloud. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to this week's podcast. We'll catch you next week. Just about.